Hey, Peaches. Hi, Peaches. Welcome to Let's Talk Peaches, the podcast. We're your hosts, Nicole and Lindsay. Let's Talk Peaches is a community where all humans come to have raw, authentic, open, and respectful conversations about various topics. Nothing is off the table. All topics are welcome. Get ready to dive in and explore the uplifting as well as the extremely uncomfortable. Be sure to come back and check us out every week. We put out new episodes every Monday. If you're new, thank you so much for tuning in and welcome. And if you're a returning peach, thank you so much for tuning back in. We appreciate that so much. We appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, we appreciate So much appreciation. All right, let's dive into the episode. Hey, peaches. Hi, peaches. Welcome back for another episode. A few things to cover before we dive in. First of all, uh, we're talking about grief. Mm-hmm. So... You know, just prepare yourself. I think there can be kind of some trigger, you know, trigger warnings mm-hmm. kind of things. Just like be be prepared. But we're talking about grief from all angles. I think the last year, uh, over a year, you know, we're going on like a year and a half, has been, there's been a lot of loss, a lot of different kinds of loss. The loss of loved ones, um, people, the loss of jobs, the loss of life as we knew it, the, you know, just all of the things. grief of like the loss of feeling safe in our own bodies in our own homes or however like there's just so many different ways that I think we've experienced grief as a society and so we are very fortunate to have Elisa come on and chat with us about grief and kind of how to navigate it navigate it define it Mm -hmm. understand it a little better first steps to take you know it's it's a thing that we deal with in life it's a part of life maybe some should we talk about a little bit like the mindset behind it Mm -hmm. uh she she talks about some resources and obviously she's a resource so mother's day is around the corner elisa lost her mom and is committed to helping people navigate through Mother's Day, Father's Day, whoever to mm-hmm. whoever has lost a caregiver in their mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. So if this time is particularly hard for you and you want some support, or Elisa, you know someone that may mm-hmm. might uh, enjoy some support or need some support, yeah, Elisa has put together this wonderful program slash event to help people going through, through this time, time that needs some support right now yeah so that was something that we wanted to highlight and give a space for in this episode and she talks 100%. about that towards the end of our conversation so be you know on the lookout for that so the other thing that we just want to touch on before diving into the episode is the this recording this episode was recorded about a couple of days after the dante wright shooting and murder so alisa was we all were feeling a, a specific type of way during that time, but we just want to kind of give her a shout out and say thank you say for thank you. chatting with us mm-hmm. for even giving though, yeah us some time and space in her in her day to chat about this stuff when something immense was happening in yeah yeah the community definitely not an easy time for anyone and definitely not an easy time for her. Um, it was it, it's clear you'll hear it, but we we respect her greatly. We really appreciated our conversation with her and the strength that she shows and like the poise that she shows in the episode so we just you know everyone will go through some type of grief in their lifetime and being able to 
learn learning more about it and understanding it better will help you navigate life and will help you mm-hmm. you know even let's say one day you're a boss and one of your employees is going through a hard time it'll help you navigate yeah. that better mm-hmm. we talk about we that talk a about lot grief in the workspace but yeah just a few things that we wanted to touch base on and talk about before the episode but it's um, a good one and we hope you really enjoy is. it yeah yes so we'll bring in elisa brb peaches Okay, Peaches, we have Elisa here with us. Hi, Elisa. Hi. Hi. <laughs> We're going to have a nice, chill conversation this evening. We're going to keep it low-key, humble, and soothing. That's our goal. But we're so excited to have you on. I personally, Lindsay, am very... I think this is a very important topic, especially this year. There has been a lot of loss. I think everybody's experienced some form of loss and has gre- is, needs to... Um, put on their like knowledge on how to grieve and like what what goes be- what goes on behind the scenes of grieving can be really useful to a lot of people right now and so we have all, we have a lot of questions <laughs> and um, Elisa is a grief guide and we're so so honored to have her on the podcast like I'm so excited about it <laughs> I think it's going to be a super useful episode. <laughs> Thank you for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming. <laughs> we like to st- we like to start off by asking all of each of our guests, "What's up, Peach? How's your day going? How's yeah. your week going?" Little gut check in. Thank you for asking. It's been a challenging. It's Tuesday. It's been a challenging week. Um, yeah. It's yeah. the yeah. I'm the April sort of April May season becomes quite overwhelming and challenging for me just in the nature of the work that I do. And Mm. coming off the back of the last year, I think these last couple of weeks, it's really been hitting me. So I'm, yes, pretty trying to be chill today because there's a lot going on in the world, especially when it comes to grief and death. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. I know there's there's been a lot that happened like this past weekend and everything that's going on in the with all of the support and all of our hearts go out to you in every single way. So it's not a, it's not an easy time for Mm -hmm. sure. And I think it's a, it's like, it's a good thing that we're learning and that these things are getting brought to people's attentions more frequently than, than ever before, but it is tough. It's really tough to absorb all of the time. And I say that from a point of privilege. So that's, I can only even, you know, imagine, but we're getting through it as a community together. Mm-hmm. I think a good place to start the conversation is what what is grief? <laughs> yeah, good question. So the way that I define and describe grief is that it is a full body, full being experience that we have after losing someone and it affects us on an emotional level, a mental level, a physical level, and a spiritual level. Mm-hmm. And do the stages of grief like really exist as we, as we're like processing? You hear that the seven state the the is it seven stages of grief? Of grief are those truly a thing? <laughs> yeah, seven or five, depending on uh, you know what you've been taught, and it's a misconception and a mislabeling and a misunderstanding of Kubler-Ross's work and perspective on that. So 
the stages themselves in a linear form, research shows and just lots of people's personal experience shows that those stages are not true for everyone. Yeah. They are not meant to be assigned to people in a linear form. And grief really is quite a fluid, complex series of experiences and emotions that we can experience from long before someone actually dies to decades and decades and decades after someone dies. And there's not a start stop. It is not a problem solution situation. And it's not a like point A to B and then you're done. So yeah, it's it's so, so complex and such a rich experience compared to what even I was taught, which is like, someone dies, you go through these five stages, and then you come out the other side and you're fine eventually. Um, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not reality. So with that in mind, what is the process to like start healing? And is healing a realistic goal? Like is heal? <laughs> like what is healing? Like if someone's in a really bad space right now, just lost somebody or is feeling really beaten down by the world right now, what is step number one? Or even like what's an ideal goal, like setting expectations about a goal? Um, yeah, so that's like a, a pretty big and, and complex question as well. I would say the first thing is goals uh, out the window. Like <laughs> I, in my grief and in mm-hmm. my experience in working with people, similar to how it's not necessarily a problem solution situation, like you go to therapy, you get better. I think that setting goals and having expectations is pretty challenging when you're going through something as complicated at times and as unexpected as grief can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that the first step also is just going to be different for everyone. So for me, when it comes to, I can speak for myself, I identify that I'm going through an intense moment of grief or having a period where I'm grieving very actively, Mm -hmm. I would say that my first step is to just let myself feel it. You know, there's not like a, I got to do this thing to fix it, or I got to do this thing to change it. For me, it really is about if I have the space and the capacity to just let myself acknowledge it and feel it, then I have the privilege to do that. And I go somewhere and I cry or I sit or I close my computer from work. Yeah. But that's not that's not the case for everyone. That's not what everyone needs. And it's not really realistic for a lot of people to be able to shut their computer in the middle of the workday or to leave a room when they're surrounded by community members or people that they're supporting. So it really is so different for everyone. And I think to the question of healing, again, it's so personal yeah. and healing might really not be the personal goal or objective of everyone, you know, is grieving. I think that for a lot of people, when we're in pain, we want to get back to not being in pain or like, Mm. I want to go back to feeling normal again. When will I feel normal again? And in my experience, and I, 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 I have yet to lose, like lose a physical human being that we're like, that we're super, super close with. We're very fortunate in that Um, way. But anytime I've experienced any form of loss, which would be a lighter version, like, it's like, you want to go back to that sense of normal. But I think I've realized that there is no going back. It's about moving forward and creating a new normal, a new 
new normal like feeling of myself, a new a new version of myself, because you're forever changed after experiencing loss. Your life will never be the same, especially after losing a human being, a human being that was close to you. Your life will never go back to the way that it was. Your life, but it, it will change and you will grow from it. I mean, I, these and this also feel free to, if I'm Off incorrect, <laughs> but that's been kind of my experience. Yeah, no, I think the thing that I would mostly say, and not to necessarily say that you're wrong or to disagree but I would say losses that aren't humans can impact us so deeply and any loss that you've gone through whether it's losing a human being that you've met or a pet or a job or a home Mm -hmm. or a right you can have lost anything in your life and it could affect you even deeper than me losing my mother And so I would just say, like, value the things that you have lost and recognize them as equally as impactful and meaningful to you as as my losses of my mom or anyone in my life. Um, Just Mm -hmm. that's that's really important, I think, to be able to think about how expansive grief is. And I think it also allows us to find commonalities in our experience that let us meet in the middle, you know, because there are still things that you can experience emotionally or even physically after losing anything that's not a human that can allow us to have a a conversation at a place of common ground. So yeah, yeah, I love that. I feel like you just gave anyone permission that if they've like, I can, yeah, losing a house, losing a job, losing a physical thing, definitely losing a pet. I mean, we lost Mm. a pet a couple of months ago. And that was definitely it's tough. It's tough. That was my tough. But we, like, lost, we lost my my our cat Bailey was my <laughs> I think was my sole pet really <laughs> so that was a that was a tough one but you don't especially I don't know it's, sometimes you can you can feel like the emotions that we're feeling are really intense and it sometimes if it's not a human being you kind of feel like this is nuts this feels like an invalid amount of pain for for what well, I've lost but I love that I feel like you just gave everybody some permission to own their feelings no matter what it is that they've lost or who it is that they lost. I love that. Absolutely. And I think it's it's something that I do work around in trainings that I do, in conversations that I have. The language of saying that someone who's died is a loved one or using that interchangeably is not always accurate. And it's something that I have to tell a, a lot of people and even correct in, in my own writing or in my own speaking is that just because someone's died, it doesn't mean that a person had a relationship to them where they're mourning mm-hmm. in the same way that you would lose someone in that relationship in your life. And I think that if we can practice getting away from assumptions about the fact that like, y'all don't know what my relationship was like with my mom. Like I could have had a terrible relationship with my mom, had been completely estranged from her. And really at the end of the day, not felt anything at all when she died. I think that assumption that we have relationships to people in our life that are going to mean that we mourn or grieve a certain way um, can be harmful and also, again, can just invalidate the fact that like, you could have been so much closer to your cat than I ever was to my mom. And that's like a reality for a lot yeah, of totally. people, you know? Totally. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I think that's a great point as well. I Something that... Ha- 
I, I think we both, my, Lindsay and myself, have been thinking about is we have a grandfather that we don't speak a lot to and we don't have like a close relationship with him. And the idea, because they're getting older, the idea of him passing away before like having a chance to, or not having a chance, but without really knowing yeah, him, don't really know him, I think is going to be an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. So it's the thought like, yeah, everyone's got different relationships with everybody and just, you know, you could know someone, you could yeah. not know someone. And I, I think like it will affect al- people. Also pretty an interesting situation because I think we will still grieve uh-huh. even though we haven't spoken to him in, in a long 10 time. years because mm-hmm. it's also, it's not, it wasn't necessarily us that, you know, it's not, yeah. you know, it's a whole different topic, but like, <laughs> I think if that were to happen and we weren't to speak with him, we would still grieve. Yeah. But in a different way, it would yeah. just be different, you know, different than like if we were speaking to him. But one thing that you said prior or like in a couple of minutes ago was you talked about the, you touched on that there are some harmful ways to grieve. What? And so my question is, how do you know when you're grieving is maybe not helpful, not productive, harmful to yourself when is grieving ever harmful? Like maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say that it's harmful unless you're causing potentially self-harm or mm-hmm. doing things that physically or mentally could be harming yourself or the people around you. I would say that there are ways that we might be responding to grief or our grief that could be let's say isolating or that could have impact on relationships or that could um, impact our ability maybe to go to work every day. But I I don't think that that's necessarily negative always or harmful. Mm. I think it's, it's like, I go back to the idea of life as a balance and I agree as long as you're not like physically hurting, be, be nice, be kind to yourself and be kind to others. But there's there should be a good balance of you know if you feel like you need to be alone you should be alone take your time by yourself Um, if you feel like you need to be with other people find the resources or like you know lean on the people that you have or find people to lean on like like a grief like a grief coach or guide oh yeah boundaries are very important (laughs) I think (laughs) boundaries in grief and boundaries just in self-care and in Mm -hmm. being able to identify what is useful and what is not useful for us personally when we're grieving or navigating a situation like a loss. Boundaries are critical. I think not only in that they protect us and allow us the space to be able to do whatever it is we need to do to take care of ourselves, but they also allow us to put up walls and boundaries between people that are going to harm us or that are Mm. going to invalidate our grief or who are going to, you know, devalue the fact that we're grieving at all. And I think that for me, you know, I ran into this very early on with employers, um, one specific employer who told me, you know, we come to work to work, like check your dead mom at the door. And I oh, think Jesus. that, yeah, oh and I think God. that that's, that's where you put up a boundary. And I quit my job because it wasn't a safe space for me to be going to work every day when I knew that, like, my mom's going to come with me everywhere for the rest of my life if I yeah. choose for her to. And I think that yeah. boundaries are are absolutely crucial between people that 
we have really incredible relationships with and ourselves or people that we have not so great relationships with in ourselves, they're so key mm-hmm. to being able to navigate any experience. Honestly, not just grief, just any experience, just living in the world. Boundaries are important. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I, I love that you quit your job because mm-hmm. that's not an easy thing to do, setting that boundary so firmly. I, I, that's such a boss that's a boss bitch moment right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it came from a huge place of privilege and being able to say, you know, I value my mental and physical at that point, like well being more than putting myself in a situation five days a week where they were harming me, draining me, and just mm-hmm. generally making it really challenging for me to process the death of my mom. Yeah. But it, it definitely came from absolutely a place of privilege of being able to say, all right, I can find something else. Mm-hmm. But I feel very, very lucky that I had the support of my my family and my, my husband and my dad to remove myself from that situation. I think this kind of segues nicely into how can people uh, support their friends or their family members that mm-hmm. are grieving or that are going through some some form of loss what would be a good a good way like asking or mm. waiting for them to come to you or yeah again i think it's so unique to the relationship like y'all know each other you probably whether or not you've been through something well you have with with your cat now but whether or not you've been through something like a, a death or a loss before you know, you know, if you're close to someone, how they handle stress, how they handle trauma, how they how they mm-hmm. need to be taken care of, what kind of the simple things, what kind of food can you pick up for your friend that you know makes their day every time? Or mm. on the flip side, do you know that if they really are struggling with something, they don't want to text every five minutes, they want to be left alone. And mm-hmm. I think that like we know our people, hopefully in most situations well enough. To, to be able to dig in deeply to the historical information and like data really that we've gathered just based on the relationship that we've built with them over time. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's very individual. And I think the number one thing, which is like the, I don't, I was going to say the horn that I'll toot, but I don't, what is it? Like the, <laughs> the, the, the like number one thing that I will recommend to people is absolutely right now during this podcast, if you're listening to it or after, go learn as much as you can about what the experience of grief is actually like for human beings Mm -hmm. and educate yourself, learn about it from experts in the space, research in the space, articles that are going up constantly, especially in the era that we're in. Go learn about grief. Mm -hmm. Go hear people's stories about grief. Go read about what people do to support others. And then think about how you can apply that to your relationships. Because one of the most harmful things that I believe we can do is jump into these situations completely blindly because often Mm. it comes from a place of making assumptions Mm -hmm. and also leaning on information like the stages or misinformation about the fact that if you just throw a casserole at them, hopefully they'll be fine in a couple of weeks. And I think that the best thing people can do is really take a little, even just a little bit of time to understand the complexities of how grief presents for people so that they're well informed when they go to their friend and say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm available and I'm here to support you. 
Yeah. Do you have any favorite books or podcasts? Just mm. obviously there's a slew, but do you have any favorites? Yeah. I'll actually send you all a list. I don't know. Do you do show notes? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll send you a, a list. I think one of the, I'll say one of the first books that I ever read was It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the very first books. And the other book specifically for people who have lost their moms is Things I Wish I Knew Before My Mom Died by Ty Alexander. Mm. Those two books like written by people who have lost someone very close to them and important to them. It is a, an intimate look at how grief impacts us and also has guidance on how to navigate these situations with yourself and with the people in your life. And I think that um, those two books really helped me in the beginning to feel validated in the confusing stuff that I was like, is anyone else in the world feeling this? Yeah. And there's tons of podcasts. The Grief Gang by Amber Jeffrey is amazing. Shelby, Shelby's podcast, um, Shelby Versithia, she used to run a podcast called Coming Back. Um, and now she's got a couple new ones, but that was great. And both of them are wonderful at just having really raw conversations with people in the grief space about how they navigate their own, how they help other people. But I can send you a, a very long list of resources. That's really my work and how I got into this space and how I'm continuing to work in this space is acting as, you know, a conduit between a lot of the resources and professionals working in the grief and death of dying space and getting getting their resources to people and making them as accessible as possible, at least to my audience and beyond. Mm -hmm. I think, at least for me, one of the number one things... I don't know, experiences that makes me feel like better, like truly really deeply better is what you were saying about when you were reading those books, shared experience, Mm -hmm. finding other people that have felt, it sounds like they felt like this a similar way or as intensely about a similar thing. And whether that's a job, whether that's a loss of someone close or the loss of a pet, I think just like those shared experiences and also like people that have kind of dealt with it for longer, you know? So these are the books that you were reading and the podcasts that you're listening to. And these are people that have, that are or maybe not, but like some, for me, it helps if they're like further along in their journey. <laughs> so I'm like, especially if they've like written a book and things, I'm like, they're doing it, they're making it work. <laughs> I like to turn any traumas into something powerful for myself and for others. So that would really make, that really makes me feel better and feel hopeful. I think is the word. It makes me feel hopeful for the future and for happiness in the future. So I, that's a, an amazing piece of advice. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that feeling of just being being able to, I think the biggest thing for me with with books and and podcasts and storytelling and just even still yeah. the people that I meet and doing the work is that like sometimes you need someone else to find the words and articulate what it is that you're feeling and oh yeah mm-hmm. reading books reading stories listening to stories watching movies when never never have I ever came out I think it was last year mm-hmm. and this was during the mm-hmm. pandemic I was like oh my gosh the people on the show are articulating things in a way. Such a good show. Yeah, in a, in a way that like you don't always see. And when you hear those words and you hear someone else describing what they're going through, it's like, oh, that's what I was feeling when I was yes. in that exact same situation. Girl, um, I know exactly what you're so talking special. about. <laughs> it's so special. 
Yeah, it is. I remember I was, for me, I, I was sitting in a class at, in college. It was like an existentialism class, of course. And we were talking about, I, the, the professor was talking through near-death experiences. And I was in a car accident when I was 17. And he was sitting there explaining all of these things. And I just remember, I must have been sitting there with my mouth open. I was like, that's what I was going through Ooh. like two years ago. And and it was such a good feeling because I was like, I wasn't crazy. I was just, I was processing and I was going through the, I was going through motions. And I was being a human being. I was just, it was every, anybody else would have gone through a, a variation of what I went through for sure. Mm-hmm. That show was great. I never have I ever. Huge recommend. It's it's funny. Mm. It's touching. It makes you cry. The dad is like really cute. And <laughs> when he when he comes back or when he steps in. Yeah, I love that show so much. <laughs> so is there is there any other like recommendations that you have for people dealing with pain? Any tactile things that they can do if we're in a meeting and we can't just step out and we're feeling overwhelmed with a sort of grief? Is there a tactic that you can recommend to someone to sort of get through that moment? Yeah, I would say there's a couple things. So one of the most important things that I, I, I talk a lot more to like HR leaders and managers about this, mm-hmm. but having the flexibility to, to be present, to be physically present, to be engaging and to be talking with your camera off, mm. I think absolutely needs to be an option because sometimes all I need in a meeting is to be able to just shut my eyes or to be able to put my head down. And I can still talk, I can still process, but I need to sort of like give my body the relief that mm. some people consider to be unprofessional. Like if you're not sitting yeah. in your chair with your, you know, your back straight and you're staring straight into everybody's eyes. I think that the flexibility to be able to rest and relieve our bodies from the stress and the tension that we, that we carry when we're grieving is such a, I've been talking to so many friends and they're like, I'm in every meeting with zoom on, have to be looking straight in the camera, no multitasking, no cooking, no eating, no nothing. And I think that that lack of flexibility means that we're carrying a lot of tension that could be relieved with little tiny changes like that. Mm -hmm. I would also say one of the things that I discussed with my grief counselor a couple years ago was how to bring my mom into my physical workspace mm-hmm. in ways that I would know that she was there and that I could like connect with her, connect with a memory of her throughout the day, but that maybe other people didn't. So for example, I had a shawl that I kept on the back of my chair so that if I ever felt a little threatened by someone or just a little uncomfortable or really tired, I could have that shawl, I could wear it, I could put it on my lap. I, for the longest time, I'm in the process of moving uh, right now, but I used to keep my mom's ashes in a in a little beautiful little like bird ceramic thing that was really mm-hmm. cute and wasn't an urn. And I'd keep it on my desk and I would keep it on my desk. I would keep it in my line of sight. And I had that with me every day. Mm-hmm. You know, some people keep pictures around, some people keep little trinkets around. And I think that if that isn't triggering in a negative way, it can be, yeah. it can feel really supportive. It can feel distracting. It can feel like a way to ritualize starting and ending your day with your person mm. that can be really comforting. And I think the, the, the other thing that I would say is in meetings, I utilize tactics that you can look up for 
anxiety or you can look up for stress. I, I use them in meetings, like just have my like rubber band on my arm and I just like little sensory things to distract me. And I think the other, the biggest thing, meetings are just so touchy for me. One of the things that I do, especially at the beginning of really hard weeks or really particularly hard days, I go through my calendar and I rearrange things based on the time when I know I have the hardest time focusing. Uh For example, uh I like stack my calendar in a very specific way on certain days and during certain time periods to make sure that like, I'm not in a meeting at four o'clock on a Friday because by Friday at four o'clock, I am so fucking burnt out. And the idea of having to be present and available and like not maybe a little bit sad is just not an option. So I stack my calendar in a way that I do my best to really like frame my week and frame my work around grief and around minimizing stress yeah, and accommodating what I need to make sure that I am at my best when I show up Mm -hmm. and that I don't have to show up when I don't feel like I have the capacity to deal with people. (laughs) Yeah, no, totally. I don't even think a lot of people feel like they have the permission to even keep track of their burnout meter. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't for the longest time. I was just like, oh, I I just, the world works from nine to five or 10 to six or whatever. And that's when I'll have to be working and and I'll have to save my resting. Like that's just, that's what has to happen. But that is so not me. (laughs) I'm like a four, I'm a four hour work like that's that's yeah. I, there's four hours during the day where I am like plug peak, in peak productive peak productivity yeah. and the other stuff I'm kind of like I have to take small breaks but the thing is like I have to do that in order to be my product be the most productive self because otherwise then you're just getting crap from me then you're just getting not good shit from yeah. me yeah. but first of all give yourself permission to feel out when your burnout is when you are when you are at your peak productiveness and and then you have the permission to like take your space and set those boundaries and sometimes that can change like if you're and obviously like it will change if you are going through actively grieving grief comes in waves and like you said it could be 10 years later and there's something happening or an emotion is presenting itself you have the permission to like ask for what you need and hopefully hopefully the the managers and the bosses or like maybe your own boss which is cool but like out of the world will understand like I I feel like my boss and Nicole when we even when we lost Bailey they were so understanding oh my god yeah the (laughs) place that I work now they're very they're I don't want to say accommodating but they're they're very supportive and they Mm. I didn't feel any sort of way saying like hey uh my cat died. They were mm-hmm. like, take the rest of the day. <laughs> take yeah. the rest of the day. Which I think, and especially sometimes it, I saying like, I'm so messed up because my cat died can sound to me sometimes hearing it sounds like a punchline almost. But like me and Bailey were tight and that was like really, yeah. really hard for me. But it's super important if there's any bosses or employers out in the world, you know, yeah. it's super important. And your employees will want to work harder for you if they know, if they feel like they support you, you support them. As like human beings, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I think one of the things that you pointed to is like, again, having the space to design your calendar around your own experience or your own burnout or your own stress is like for me again like a huge privilege and I'm very lucky to have that Mm. fortunate to have that 
But one of the things that you brought up is micro breaks. And that's something that I've like written about and, and, and talk about a lot is, okay, sometimes it feels like, yes, I need 25 million hours straight to like sit and stare at a wall and clean and watch Gilmore Girls and Mm. like be in the bathtub for four hours. (laughs) Sometimes it feels like what we need is hours and hours and hours of stuff to reboot. And that's very fair. That rest and that rejuvenation in those longer stretches where you can really let yourself settle into it is incredibly important. Weekends are here for a reason. But I do think that those little breaks that are truly just looking out the window between meetings or getting up to get a glass of water between meetings. Or for me, just like today, I was in between meetings and my husband got home tonight. He's like, how are you? And I was like, I laid in bed in the dark for 20 minutes and couldn't fall asleep, but it felt really good. <laughs> and it's like, that's, that's what you need sometimes. Yeah. And it's all you can get some days. And I think that giving yourself even those moments, you know, one of my coaches, whenever we're in a session and I'm like, ah, life is wild. And then I take a really deep breath. She's like, let's acknowledge the fact that you just got a deep breath and you took it and you sat with it. Yeah. And I think that those yeah. those little opportunities that we give ourselves to rest and break and pause can be just as useful as getting in the bathtub with your snacks and your wine and your show and your book for four hours. I'll sometimes do like a 10-minute yoga session like mm. in between meetings. Like I'll put it – I have like an app – and I'll just put it on. <laughs> or I'll put on a song and blast it and just like vibe to the song for whatever, like four minutes and in between meetings. And that's like mm-hmm. really good for me. <laughs> whatever your body needs at that point in time. Yeah. Feel free to, to do so. To do it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> Are there any common misconceptions of grief that you've come by? I mean, many. I think the biggest one is that it, there's a time limit. We get over it and eventually yeah. we will all just be okay. I think that's one of the most challenging. You know, I had an employer ask me once, I know you're going to grief counseling. Like, are you better yet? <gasps> no, dude. Like the goal is not to get better for me. And that's, you know, what we talked about uh, at the top of this, the goal, first of all, there, there really is no goal except for me to take care of myself. Yeah. And, and I think that especially with therapy, my goal is not to get better. Right. My goal is not to be okay. And my goal is not to return to normal because my mom is dead. And there is a new version of normal, Mm -hmm. but I am not trying to revert back to anything or pick some end game or some end moment where everything is just going to be like, my grief is gone. I'm good to go. And I, I think that's one of the most challenging. And I think the other is that there is a one-size-fits-all solutions for everyone. Um, the way that we grieve, the way that we mourn publicly, the way that we experience loss is very unique to us as individuals and is unique to our identities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's impacted by the way that we move through the world and where we live and who we know and how much money we have and what race we are, our sexual orientation. It can be impacted by all of these 
pieces of us and the thought that like everyone can just Google like how to fix my grief and like there will be something (laughs) that is a one size fits all. It's just not real. And I think that's, you know, that's for me again, why I'm doing a lot of the um, work that I do in the workplace is that bereavement policies, they do not Mm -hmm. suit everyone. They do not accommodate everyone's family structures or lived experience or situation. And I think that a list of a couple of random websites and books you can read and three days off, it it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, three days off. (laughs) Yeah. So those are probably the two biggest ones that grind my gears at the moment. (laughs) Rightfully so. And I think it's also like in bereavement, there's very like specific things that qualify. You know what I mean? Specific grievances that qualify. I think that's kind of might need to change it does need to change it absolutely needs to change <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's, that's like non-negotiable for me and, and work that I mm. do with Liz Eddy from Lantern and and you know their product does a lot of work in in helping people plan for the end of life and I think that understanding that bereavement policies in the space that we're allotted to grieve, whether it's at work or by our friends and family who expect that we're just going to get better, the expectations absolutely have to change. That's so nutty to me. Yeah. Are you better? Are you better? better. Like, (laughs) what does that even even mean? mean? You've never lost anything in your entire, like, what does that even mean? Yeah. Yeah. Nutty. Yeah. Even like going to therapy, you don't go like a lot of I started going to therapy and there wasn't necessarily a thing that made me go. I just went because like it's a good thing to do. And I, it's like a it's like a thing. I don't know. It's like self-discovery. It's like it doesn't ha- I'm not trying to get better. Mm. I'm like trying to learn more about myself and have an objective person looking at me and holding up the mirror. You know what I mean? That's just wild. Mm. <laughs> just wild. As we're sort of winding down on our time together. Um, And we want to make sure that we have time for peachy clean stuff. Is there anything that we haven't covered on the topic of grief we haven't touched upon yet that you want to bring to the forefront of the conversation? Important or helpful? Yeah, I think especially in the social and political climate that we're in right now, and the experience that a lot of people, and just like the experiences that a lot of people are having, is quite traumatic and overwhelming Mm -hmm. right now. I I would say especially with the way my work is going, people of color who are grieving right now need resources that are culturally specific, sensitive, and tailored to them and their lived experience. And I think that it is fair to say as a person of color that what shows up in the top results of Google or shows up on you know your list that your workplace gives you for bereavement resources or that your friends are able to share, it's okay to say that they're not adequate if they don't serve you. And if those people don't look like you, and if those people don't sound like you and talk like you and serve your community. And that's one thing that I think I am doing work around with a lot of partners in this space. It's to give people the permission and the space to say that they need something very specific right now yeah, and that they need something that will serve them and is, is built for and by people from their community. So yeah, especially in this moment, especially in America and especially with the way things are just going to continue to go with the amount of grief and just <laughs> the amount of like intergenerational trauma and trauma and grief and loss that people 
of color, particularly in America, have been experiencing for a very long time. So, yeah, thank you. That's yeah, of course, very well said. Yeah, I have one question that I would mm-hmm. love to like ask you. What would you say is kind of like your your life's mis- mission? <laughs> I I I think really for me, my number one goal in doing this work publicly and learning to care for myself privately Mm -hmm. is to ensure that people have access to the best resources that can serve them as an individual. And I think that's when I think about it and even just take a moment to pause and think about it. It is so important to me that when people come to me, they're looking for not specifically me, but whatever is going to uniquely serve and fit them so that they feel as safe and supported as possible. And that's, that's really why I do the work that I do and why I do the work that I do the way that I do it. It is about amplifying other people doing work in this space so that when somebody loses someone, they can reach out and find something that is so useful and perfect for what it is that they're going through. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah. That's very inspiring. <laughs> I was like, I feel like she had a good answer to that. I want to ask. <laughs> Thank you so much. Of course. Okay. So with that, we'll we'll just slip right into our peachy clean segment. Have you had an opportunity to think about something you want to come, come clean about? I've been trying to think about this today. For me, I, I said to to both of my coaches this morning, I feel so angry yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. And that emotion is something that and that feeling and that like vibration, like it feels yeah. like a vibe an exhausting vibration in me. Um, it feels like something that in the past I'm like, gotta turn this into something, gotta use this for good, gotta mobilize, like do something. Mm. And I think it's so, it also is such a hard thing to admit sometimes and like vocalize sometimes because anger, especially from a woman and anger from mm. a woman of color is not always well received. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it felt really good to say it this morning. So I think it's, definitely something that I need to articulate and sit with a little more. So I might as well do it here. The world is a dumpster fire and (laughs) it's so challenging. You know, we talk so much about how sad everyone is right now and how tired Mm. everyone is right now. And I think this week in particular and with everything going the way that it is in the world and especially in America right now, like, anger is just very, very present. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think it's totally fair to be angry too. (laughs) And I love the, I love the tidbit about we sometimes, and I've heard this, like anger, anger is like a form, it's a superpower. Like it creates change. It creates, like you use it for good, which is great, but it also, you can also just be fucking angry Mm -hmm. and go hit something. It's cool. Like it's, (laughs) it's okay to be angry and you don't, you can just feel it. Thank you for thank you so thank much you for, for sharing. sharing. I think that's of course, awesome. Of course. Um, we support your emotions. Your emotions are valid. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you want to kind of roll through, and I know you wanted to talk about an event that you had coming up. Do you want to roll through where people can find you, connect with you? and what you have coming up? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So people can find me on the internet on my website, um, which is just my name, alisafornery.com. And on Instagram at alisa.fornery. And you can find contact info on both of those websites and all of the projects that I'm working on. And then, yeah, so for anyone who has lost their mom or who is supporting someone who's lost their mom or a caregiver in general, because I'm expanding it a bit this year, which is exciting, Mm -hmm. I will be running programming from Mother's Day weekend through the end of June, right into Father's Day weekend. Um, specifically to support people who've lost caregivers. So all of that information is on my website. It'll be on my Instagram when we start Probo for that. And it will be a ton of events, resources, engagements, and just support for people who are finding this time of year, like I am, quite challenging. Absolutely. And as always, we'll put all of those goodies in our show notes for everyone to mm-hmm. go click connect and take show advantage support. of all of those yeah. use uh, resources. Mm-hmm. You're you're doing such amazing, uh, such amazing work in the world, mm-hmm. and we're so honored to have had you for this hour and chat with you. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people are going to find a lot of like good nuggets in here, yeah. for sure. So, so many thank yous. Yeah, thank you, thank you for having me. All right, Peaches, that was it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And an extra big thank you to Elisa for coming on and chatting with us about all things grief. Definitely head out there, connect with her, give her some love. And while you're at it, you can definitely connect with us at Let's Talk underscore Peaches. We're on Instagram, TikTok. You can subscribe to us on all the podcasting platforms, leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. That'd be so great. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next Monday for another episode of Let's Talk Peaches. Bye, Bye, Peaches. peaches. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Epic. (laughs) 